You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. All right, so uh, we've got four chapters to cover tonight, so we better dive right in, right? Uh, So I'm not going to read them all. Okay, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes. But before we get started there, I, I just want to pray over this. Um, I think that God has a message for us here tonight. I think he wants to show us something. Uh, and I think it's really cool. I think it's that uh, what we see here in this passage of scripture is such an interesting, uh, it, it, and, and really the reason I'm not reading is, is because it's a duplication, exactly, of what we've already studied, word for word. Word for word, a duplication of what we've already studied. Okay, so we'll talk about that and why that's so important. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray as we go into our Bible study tonight, Lord, that you would move amongst us, Lord. Lord, as we dig into your word, Lord, as we study, as we see you in the midst of it, Lord, and know you better, Lord, that you would touch our hearts, you would ignite a fire in us, Lord, you would remind us of who we are in you, and the incredible work that you've done. So we thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. And we just ask you, Lord, to speak to us tonight as we study your word in your holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. So uh, last week we talked about, uh, Pastor Daniel read the first eight verses of chapter 36, okay? And so he set up what we're going to be doing. And then he went back and then he did chapter 35. And so we talked about how the people began to bring supplies in to build the tabernacle. And they, there was so much coming in that they had to shut it down. They had to say, please stop bringing supplies. It's so much. Can you imagine? And do you realize the supplies that they were bringing? They were bringing acacia wood, okay? Remember, all the things that God told them to build in the temple was build it out of acacia wood, overlay it in gold, overlay it in silver, overlay it in bronze. So these people are like, hey, I brought some more gold. Oh, please stop with the gold. Can you imagine? I was doing some calculations and and I really, I'm like, okay, math brain, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Had to dig back into the recesses to get my math brain working again. And I'm like, okay, so when the children of Israel walked out, okay, of Egypt, right, there's an estimation that there were about 500,000 men, okay, meaning there were possibly as many as 2 million people with women and children and all these things going across the desert. Now, when you think about that, that's an intimidating thing altogether. Now, the Bible tells us that the prophecy was fulfilled because when they left Egypt, they looked at the Egyptians and said, hey, uh, can you give us some gold and silver? And they were like, yes, just take this stuff. Please just leave. Take the stuff and leave. And so I started calculating. I was like, okay, so let's say there was a million people, right? And each of them got an ounce of gold, an ounce. Now, an ounce is a reasonable portion of gold, isn't it? Right? A reasonable portion of gold is pretty decent. Well, that comes out to, if my calculations are correct, I think it was uh, 32,000 pounds of gold. 32,000 pounds of gold. Now, the Bible tonight, when we talk about building the temple, will say that they used a ton of of gold, a literal ton of gold, a ton of gold. And I was like, 
a ton of gold. That's an incredible amount of gold that they used to fashion these things. Where'd they get all that gold? And that's why I went back and started doing those calculations. And I was like, oh, yeah. So even if they got a half an ounce, even if they got it. So it's literally an incredible amount of supplies that were coming in, right? And so we know they built a golden calf. So they wasted a lot of it, okay? And I'm pretty sure that God probably had that gold completely burned up and said, all right, that's vile. That's been used for worship and pagan gods. I don't want that in my temple. I, I, I don't, we don't see that in, the, in Scripture, but I would imagine because you, that relates to the way that God does things a lot of times, right? If it's been used in pagan worship, no, just leave that behind. We don't need it. I don't care how valuable it is, right? I, I was in a message one time uh, sitting in, 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 uh, at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. You guys, some of you guys know that church. It's huge, right? And the pastor was teaching, and he had a piece of pavement in his hand. And he said, hey, you know that gold that you're pursuing? In heaven, this is what it is, y'all, right? Can you imagine if somebody actually was like, I just have to get another piece of pavement, <laughs> I just got to get another, I got a collection in my house and it's all, sometimes I make little pavement earrings, right? And I wear this big chunky pavement necklace and I'm like, look how rich I am, y'all, right? And he said, I think that's how the angels see us. They look down and like, why are they wearing pavement around their neck? What are they doing, right? And so anyway, here's the, here's the interesting thing. We're going to talk about the idea, okay, from plans to action. So what we saw in starting in Exodus chapter 25, remember we got the law, and then in Exodus 25, Moses starts getting the blueprints of the tabernacle. And up to this point, all we have is blueprints, right? And I was thinking about this, what good are blueprints? You know, blueprints are absolutely worthless if you never do anything with them, right? Several years ago, our school was really excited, and they were going to build this cafegematorium, that's wild, isn't it? Okay, we've been in one. If you were with us in Carver or with us in, I never remember the name of the other school, Orchard, Orchard View, that's a cafegematorium. You've got a stage with lights, so it's an auditorium, so you can do performances in it. But it's also, it's got some basketball hoops that come down, but it has a vinyl floor so that it can be a cafeteria as well. You can clear it out. It can be all three of those things all in one, right? And we were going to build this thing. And I think it's been about six years ago. And so we, it was a two-part process. The first part was building a new elementary building. And we raised all the money and we built a new elementary building. And it was incredible, okay? And, and we have these plans for this other one and the site for it as well. And we said, we want to build this, but it's probably going to take us uh, three to five years. And then COVID hit. And so we have this beautiful set of blueprints. And man, could I use a cafegematorium. <laughs> I do a lot of directing of plays and stuff. My first degree in, is in theater. I worked professionally in theater for 10 years. So I do, I do a lot of, that's why I'm all this, you know, <laughs> in case you were wondering, right? Uh, so, so anyway, um, I was like, man, I could use that thing, but that set of blueprints is there. And it's just sitting there. And so tonight we're going to see the beauty of taking what God has commanded and putting it into action. Because blueprints without action are worthless. They're worthless. They're just paper. 
They're just paper, right? I can't do anything in a cafegematorium on paper. I need it to be built. And that's what's going to happen tonight. So uh, we're going to talk about this idea, do what God has commanded. Do what God has commanded. It's one thing to plan. It's a whole nother thing to build. Putting our plans into actions, right? Uh, so I, I listen to a lot of books, right? I love Audible. It's just changed my life. Um, yes. I was like in the basement in remedial reading when I was in like fifth and sixth grade, you know, when they still did that and shamed kids and you walk the walk of shame in the elementary and you're like, where are you going? To the basement. <laughs> oh, you can't read. <laughs> yes, I can. Just not very well, <laughs> right? Uh, so anyway, so yeah, I mean, God has done amazing things there, but, but the reality is, is that that Audible has just been a world of, of difference. And so uh, I came across, across a quote, and most of you guys have probably heard this before. I read a lot of books on, on leadership and church and all of these types of things. And it, it's by Joel Barker. It says, vision without action is merely a dream. Okay? Vision without action is merely a dream. Action without vision just passes the time. Vision with action can change the world. So here's the thing. God has a vision to build a tabernacle to dwell amongst his people, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to put it in action. He's going to put it in action, right? James chapter 1, verse 26, 22 through 26 says, Be you doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who, intently look, who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away at once, and forgets what he was like. It's time to act. It's time to take action, right? And action takes power, and it takes motivation. And those things are really hard for us to come by, aren't they? Power and motivation. And so uh, we know that the true power comes from the Holy Spirit, and when you want to act in something that God has commanded you to do, if you do it, if you move without the Holy Spirit, it really doesn't matter what you're doing. It really doesn't. It's not going to have kingdom impact, right? Think about it. You can go dig freshwater wells all day long. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. Are the people receiving fresh water actually, are you changing their life? Those are good things that people do all over the world. Are they kingdom things? Well, that completely depends. Is that fresh water attached to the living water and a message coming along with why we came into your village to dig that hole because Jesus provides the living water? This will satisfy your thirst for a season. That dirty water is like sin. This fresh water is like the Spirit of God coming down, cleansing us and making us something that's useful and beautiful. What a great way to share the gospel in a community, right? And I know many missionaries that use that for that, but I know a lot of philanthropists that just have a lot of money that want to be good people. I don't know them. I just read about them, right? Um, so, but they, they just want to be good people. And they want to do things so that people look at them 
And so that some guy stands at a podium and goes, and this year's man of the year goes to, here's a trophy. Right? And that's why they want it. And that's why they do it. The people are still benefiting from it. So when we move into action, we want to make sure that the Holy Spirit is the one guiding us, leading us, and empowering us. Right? So I'm telling you, guys, let's go down to downtown. Let's get to the Christmas tree lighting booth, and let's be available for the Lord to use us. But guys, we can't do that unless the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to do that because it's God that does the work and not us. So I want to take you back to chapter 31, and I want to take you back to two guys. I told you I was going to teach four chapters and haven't even started. You better look at your watches because mine says it's already seven o'clock. Somebody didn't reset that one, right? Uh, so li listen, I want to take you back to chapter 31. There's two guys that are called to do this work. In chapter 31... The Lord said to Moses in verse 2, he says, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, from the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, to help him. And I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you, right? Did you know this is the first time in scripture that it says, and the spirit of God was given to them to do their work. Isn't that crazy? We think the spirit of God came over him, right? And he did this amazing, marvelous thing. Most of us would not look and go, oh, the spirit of God came over him and he made a chest. He made a box out of wood, you know, and then he covered it with gold. And he did, we wouldn't even think that, would we? We wouldn't think that the Spirit of God comes over us and uses our skills and the things that we have to do incredible things for God. Build a box, right? Now, this was a special box if we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, all of these things, right? But what an incredible thing. We'll later read about these two guys once we get to chapter 39, and you'll see it never actually says that Bezalel actually had those skills previous, but it does say that Aholiab did. It says, and he was an embroiderer, a carpenter, and all of those types of things. But the reality is, guys, is that God blessed them. Maybe Bezliel didn't have any skills and God said, bam, you have skills. The other guy has skills and God said, bam, now you can use these skills for my glory in a magnificent way. What are your skills? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to bless you? Are you saying, God, use my gifts and talents for your glory? Because that's what these guys were willing to do. Gifts and talents. They're skilled carpenters, embroiderers. They're skilled metal workers. And God said, you, you, you're good with your hands. I'm going to set you apart and you're going to make my dwelling place. Imagine 
We covet those gifts that are the super spiritual gifts, right? But what about the gifts that don't seem as spiritual? These guys got to make the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. That's incredible. Let's look at chapter 36. Uh, we're going to look at these details when we get to chapter 36 here. All right. Um, and so you got me? Nope, not that one. That, right? And all those who were skilled among the workers made the tabernacle with 10 curtains, right? And so this is the beginning of this section where they made it. I told you that Pastor Daniel did the first eight, eight verses last week or the first seven verses last week. Now I want you to look at this. We're gonna go through this quickly. I've underlined them for you, right? Then they made loops, verse 12. They also made, verse 13. Then they made 50 gold clasps. Next slide. They made curtains of, uh, we jumped like four or five things. So they must have gotten out of order. They made curtains of goat hair, right? And then jumped down to first 17. Then they made 50 loops along the edge of the end in verse 18. They made 50 bronze clasps to fasten the tent together as a unit. Okay, verse 20. They made upright frames of acacia wood. And verse 22, in the middle, they made the frames of the tabernacle in this way. In 23, they made 20 frames on the south side. And verse 24, and made. And verse 25, they made 25 frames. In verse 27, they made six frames. Are you tired yet? In verse 31, they also made crossbars of acacia wood. Verse 33, they made the center, the crossbar so that it extended from end to end. Verse 35, that's the one you, yeah. They made the curtains of blue. 36, they made four, four posts. 37, they made, do you see the picture here? They made, they made, they made. Now bring up that other slide. 19 times in chapter 36. I just showed you those 19. 17 times in 37, seven times in 38, 14 times in chapter 39. Look at that. It's 57 times total, if I'm not mistaken. Hopefully I did that right, right? 57 times total. They made, they made, they made, right? They made. They made it so many times, right? They did it over and over and over again. Remember, we take blueprints and we put them into action. But who is God using? These two guys and the other skilled workers. He's using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And he wants to use you. The Spirit of God came upon them and they made. They made right? God commanded them to do it, right? God commanded them to do it in a certain way, right? And they did, right? Let's go back to Exodus chapter 25 in verse 8, and it says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. What did God desire? He desired to be with his people. And he said, I want to be with you. Now I'm going to tell you how to do that. For me to be able to be with you, this is what needs to happen. 
I'm going to bless the socks off of these people. And my spirit's going to come over top of them. I'm going to bless their hands. Everything they touch is going to, their, their carpentry skills are going to go boom. Their metalworking skills are going to go boom, right? They are going to be the most skilled workers in all of Israel when I'm done with them because they're going to build my tabernacle. I want to use them. God said, they will make, okay, that I may dwell. They will make that I may dwell, right? It says right there, let them make me a sanctuary. God said, I want to dwell amongst my people and they're going to be a part of it. They're going to be a part of it. Could God who created the universe by opening his mouth and said, let there be light and there was light, who said, let the, separate the waters from the tops to the bottom and it was separated, in seven days, God created the universe. You don't think he could have spoken a tabernacle into existence that they could dwell in? That he could dwell in? Absolutely he could. But he said, not going to do it. Not going to do it. You're going to do it. You're going to do it. Right? And so we think, why did God let these ordinary people build his sanctuary? Now, if you dig on deeper in scripture, you'll come along to King David. And King David's getting this beautiful house built for him, and he's got this enormous palace, and he's walking around in this palace every day. And, you know, David does a lot of really terrible, wicked things, right? And David's walking around the palace, and he's like, Lord, come on, how can I live in this beautiful house here while you're living in a tent? Let me build you a, let me build you a tabernacle. And he said, no, David. Nope. You're not allowed to build me a tabernacle because of the things you've done. They made, they made, they made. This is incredible. God said, I'm going to do this great thing in the middle of the desert. I'm going to dwell in the midst of my people. You're going to know me. You're going to feel my presence. You're going you're to see that things change when I'm there. You're going to be able to come into my sanctuary. You're going to be able to, to sacrifice to me for forgiveness of your sins. And I'm going to dwell amongst my people. And you're going to be a big part of that. You're going to be a big part of that. He used skilled workers and gave them extraordinary skills. He gave them extraordinary skills. Now, when we just went through every bit of the things that I just went through you in chapter 36, guys... We've seen it all before. Starting in Exodus chapter 25, God gives details. We've gone through every single one of these things that they've made. And we've talked to you about how this thing represents Jesus and how this thing represents Jesus and how this thing represents judgment and how this thing represents sin and how this thing, and we see it over and over and over again in the depiction of the tabernacle, a complete representation of Jesus and the sacrifice that would be made so that God could dwell with his people. God could dwell with his people. When we started way back in Exodus chapter 25, we anchored on that verse that I may dwell in their midst. One of the beautiful things about Christianity that's different than every other religion in the world, every other religion in the world is trying to figure out how they can appease and get to their God. 
And God, the creator of the universe in Christianity says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to make myself accessible to you because there's no way that you would be able to get to me because I'm the creator God of the universe. I open my mouth and things come into existence. Right? I, I heard a pastor one time, and if you've never seen Indescribable or How, How Great Is Our God by Louis Giglio, they're pretty old videos, but they're worth the watch. They're on YouTube. They're about 45 minutes long, and they're pictures from the Hubble Space Telescope. He talks about the sun and all the stars and how big they are, and you realize how small we are in the midst of things. And he said, people say to me all the time, oh, Louis, I would love to have been there when God created the universe. He's like, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. When the God of the universe opens his mouth and the universe came out with his words, that was a marvelous moment that no human being would have been able to understand, comprehend, or live through. Because there's power when God opens his mouth. That God that put everything in the existence, into existence said, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to do it. You're going to build me a place. You're going to follow all these details and you're going to do it exactly as I commanded. And if you do, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to redeem you. You can come into my presence. You can worship me. Just do it as I commanded. Do it as I commanded. That's, that's what I ask of you. Do it as I commanded. So when we look at chapters 36, 37, 38, and 39, it's worth repeating. It's worth repeating. It's worth going through every chapter. It's worth reading it again, seeing it again. I encourage you. We don't have time tonight for me to go through them all. All of those details are repeated again. In God's word, when you see something repeated multiple times, pay attention because he's trying to teach you something. He's trying to show you something. That first time he gave us the blueprints, the second time when he says, now build it, but I'm gonna give you all those details all over again as I tell you to build it. And they built this, and this is how they did it, and this is how they did it, and this is how they did it. Why? Because every step of that process was so important because every item represents Jesus or some illustration of redemption. Every item. Every item. So not only was God building a beautiful tabernacle through these guys that he had gifted, right? Now he's saying, so that I can spend time with you. And this is a foreshadowing of Jesus tabernacled among us. Remember studying that? Remember talking about that? In John 1.14, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us or he tabernacled among us. So why is it worth repeating? Because every detail in this points us to Jesus. And we started service by talking about some of these ideas. We were talking about the idea that sometimes if you just, if you just step back and look at your life, as messy as it's ever been, you can see God in the details of your life and how he rescued you in this moment 
And I don't know if you guys have ever done this. You can go back to moments where you were like, I was a wretch. I was terrible. I was awful. But really, if I think about it, God was right there. And he, and he used that person to speak into my life and remind me how much that he loved me. Even when I was at the worst, darkest place. Even when I wasn't following very closely. Somebody was always, there was always a remnant in my life. Always a remnant in my life going, hey, I just want to remind you that Jesus loves you and he died for your sins. Shut up, you're stupid. Have you ever said that to somebody? Have you ever denied somebody when they were trying to share Christ with you? Now you look back and you're like, God, you're so faithful. In every detail, you've been trying to dwell with me. In every detail, you've been trying to reestablish that communion with me. And I can look back and I can see it. I couldn't see it in the moment, right? I couldn't see it in the moment. But when you see these things get made and when they get to experience the holiness of God in this tabernacle and it becomes the center of all that they do, it becomes the center of all that they do. Everything. They, they, pack, they make camp around the edges. And they make sure that their, their tents face the tabernacle. Why? Because it represents the holiness of God. And it has to be the center of everything that they do, the holiness of God. We need to be reminded always about the holiness of God. So it's worth repeating. It's worth repeating, right? Now, I want to read this section to you. They go through, they made, I showed you how many times, about 57 times in three chapters, right? My Bible's in Genesis right now. That's great. <laughs> right? I'm going to read this section to you out of, out of chapter 39, okay? Um, as we go throughout those three chapters, it tells us exactly how Aholieb and Bezaliel Bezalel, these are names, right? Okay. Um, it tells us exactly how they made everything. They made, they made, they made, they made, and it gives details of it, right? At the end of 38, it talks about the cost of it. it talks about how expensive it was, right? And that's when I started going, how? Where, how did they afford this? They were living in the middle of the desert, right? They were, and how did they do this? But then you think, oh, yeah. Uh, the God of the universe is on their side there, right? So, and, and he had already provided for them in a way that they could not even fathom. Can you imagine, right? We talked about the fact that it, it's like 32,000 pounds, right? Which is 16 tons of gold if everybody carried one ounce out of Egypt. One ounce out of Egypt. Now, I can almost guarantee you that if we went, if, if we just said, hey, does everybody have a ounce, half of ounce of gold, right? Almost every single one of us probably has a half an ounce of gold in something, right? No? How much does one of those big bricks weigh? Does anybody know? Mike, do you know? Like, at, like the Fort Knox bricks, do you guys know how much those weigh? No? No, 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 no. Right? At most, it would be a pound. 
one of those big bricks of, of gold. Gold's not very heavy. What? What a brick? Really? I've never I've never held one, Joe. <laughs> wow, Joe. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but gold is really light. It's different. Gold does not weigh as much as a lot of other stones do. It's very, very light. Okay. How much? I knew somebody would look it up. See, all you got to do is ask in the, the Google age, and somebody will find the information for you. And 27 pounds. Yeah, you're right. Way more than 10 pounds, right? So, so half an ounce really wouldn't be that much, would it? I mean, that's like shavings off the edge. That's probably a good pair of gold earrings or uh, maybe a gold ring or stuff like that. Don't worry, you guys. Relax. I'm not asking you to bring it in, okay? I'm just saying the body of believers have incredible resources that they've come by along the way, right? And if God wanted to do something and called you to do something and move the hearts of the people in that way, he absolutely could because he has endless resources and not just in us and through us, but in all of the world. He has endless resources. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that, that he's the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. The owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. He said, I don't need things from you. I'm not, I'm not asking you to bring me things because I have need. Anything I ask of you is for you. It's for you. When I ask you to bring me stuff, it's for you. You're like, how is me bringing stuff for me? Try it and you'll find out. How is you sacrificing for God something for you? Try it and you'll find out because it's incredible. You can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. It's a beautiful thing. So uh, we're going to move along. Now, these two guys, they made everything. They made the boxes. They overlaid them with gold. They made the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? They made it all in pieces. They made it all in little pieces. They made the poles. They made all of it. And they brought it all to Moses. And they, they made all of these things. They made all of the linen things. They did not assemble it. They just made it. And they made it exactly to the specifications. Exactly to the specifications. And God gave them the skill to be able to do that. And they brought it all and they laid it at Moses' feet. And in verse 32 of chapter 39, it says... So all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was completed. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses. The tent and all of its furnishings, its clasp, its frames, its crossbars, its post, and its basing, bases. The covering of ram skins dyed red. The covering of another durable leather and the shielding curtain. The Ark of the Covenant law with its poles and its atonement cover, and the table with all of its articles, and the bread of the presence, the pure gold lampstand with its row of lamps and all of its accessories, and the olive oil for the light, 
the gold altar, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, the curtain for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar with the bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the basin with its stands, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases, and the curtain for the entrance of the courtyard, the ropes and tent pegs for the courtyard, and all the furnishings for the tabernacle, the tent of the meeting, and the woven garment worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron and the priest and the garments for his sons when serving as priest. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected all the work and saw that it had been done just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. A dwelling place for God. It's finished. It's finished. You know, when I saw that passage of Scripture, and I saw that they had finished the tabernacle, they had finished it, it took me to the cross. And I thought of Jesus hanging on the cross. The work is done. The work is done, and now the worship begins. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, tetelestai on the cross. The work is complete. Now we can worship. Now we can worship. Moses looked at that finished work, saw that what had been done just as the Lord had commanded. What a beautiful parallel to the cross. We think about the cross. We think about the Garden of Gethsemane. We think about the work that Christ had to do. And we think about his prayer. Lord, if there's any other way, Father, if there's any other way. And he said, but your will be done just as you've commanded, just as God had commanded, just as that's what he meant by your will be done, just as you've commanded. I just think there's such a beautiful parallel there. The work is done, the worship can begin. The work is done, the worship can begin. Jesus on the cross, Christ hung on the cross and he said, Tetelestai. If, if you were with us in the summer, one of the, the passages of scripture we did was Christ on the cross. We did the life of Jesus a couple summers ago uh, when Pastor Daniel was on sabbatical and we, we, we anchored on that word, Tetelestai. It's got a lot of meanings to it. It's used for a lot of things. It means I'm finished. The debt is paid in full. It can be stamped on a deed to a house. They usually stamped it in red ink and said, Tetelestai, paid in full. That's what it meant. Wouldn't that be nice to go home and see a deed on your house stamped in red ink that said paid in full? It'd just be cool. If you own your house, you know how cool that would be, right? Uh, but that's what that meant, Tetelestai. But it was also that artist painting that last stroke and stepping back and looking at that painting and going, Tetelestai. The masterpiece is finished, right? Everything's exactly as it should be. Everything's in its place. And now we can experience the beauty of it. We can rest in his presence. The dwelling place of God was finished according to the plan that God has given. His will be done. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Sorry, I didn't, I didn't get this one up there. It says, Do you not know that you are God's temple 
and that God's spirit dwells in you. And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. When Jesus died on that cross and he said, Tetelestai, he was preparing us to be that temple. We no longer needed a tent of meetings. We no longer needed a place to make sacrifice because that sacrifice was made for us. He was the lamb that took away the sins of the world, Tetelestai. He said, now you're my tabernacle. And I spent a long time making you look like me so that I might dwell in you. I worried about every detail. I worried about every little point along the way to make you look like me so that I may dwell in you. And I did it on a cross. I hung on that cross and I died for you so that I could dwell in you and that you can experience the fullness of who I am. What a beautiful picture when we look at the tabernacle. As they come that's where we're going to finish tonight. We're going to prepare for communion. We need to keep our minds on that as we think about the cross and we prepare for communion. God is doing a work in you. He continues to assemble you. You think about that. These guys had to pick this stuff up and take it across the desert, deal with all the crazy stuff and put it all back together again. I feel like God has to do that with my life all the time. He's like taking the tabernacle apart again carrying it across the desert, putting the tabernacle back again. Now that would be me, right? That's how my, my version of it goes. And God, God in his compassionate, loving whisper goes, disassembling the tabernacle again. Robin, we're going to walk across the desert for a minute. And I'm going to put you back together and it's going to be more beautiful than it was before. And he does that on a regular basis to us, doesn't he? disassembling the tabernacle and putting it back together. Things are messy, but here's the beauty, right? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He who knew no sin became sin that you and I might receive the righteousness of God. So while God is constantly taking us apart and putting us back together, when he looks at us, he said, Tetelestai, that's my finished masterpiece right there. It's complete. It's beautiful. It's lovely. It's finished. When he looks at us through the blood of Jesus because of that cross, we are holy, righteous, and redeemed. So we can be in his presence. Exodus is such a beautiful book. We're almost done. And I know it's been a long time, but that makes me sad because there's so much Jesus to be found in this beautiful passage of scripture. So let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts. I'll take the communion elements back to the back. And just as the Lord leads you, get up, grab your communion, and then we'll come back and take it together after this song. All right?